Hello, this is John Walterson, and today we are going to be <laughs> telling you about um, uh, 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 the Winter Solstice. Wait, is this even recording? Yes, yes. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So I'm John Walterson. Uh, 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 um, um, I forgot what I was going to say. So it's the morning of the Winter Solstice, and we've got up in candlelight. Oh, you mean we have, not you. <laughs> You're still in bed. I have, you have. And um, everyone's very excited because we, we, we're not using any no, electric... No, Stop it. <laughs> okay, try again. Good morning. It's the um, morning of the winter solstice and it's pitch black. We've just got up. We're using candlelight, inherited as a tradition from our friend Donna. It looks very romantic. We're huddled around having breakfast getting into our warm clothes before we go up to the stone circle. I think there's differing levels of enthusiasm. I don't want to be on all of Spotify. Okay, we won't use your name. How do you feel? How, how do you... How do no, you, you've already said it. Well, it's okay, but Joe edits it, doesn't it? So, yeah. Okay. So how, how do you feel about being up so early? Um, it's horrible. <laughs> Oldest child, how do you feel about it? Um... Mostly tired. <laughs> it's six o'clock in the morning. You're my solstice partner, aren't you? Because we're going to walk up through the woods all the way to the top to the stone circle, and um, you're a real, you're a real trooper. You're coming with me. Yeah. Got some hot chocolate, and off we're going to go. Yeah. Stone circle. Here we come. You hear this? This is wind. Just get to the stone circle then go back. Okay, will you go back with him then? Okay, we'll just get to the stone circle. Well, that didn't go quite to plan. I'm now back home, tucked up under a duvet. And it's all snug and cosy. And it's rather nice, I have to say. Best laid plans and all that. But there was something very cyclical about this morning because we live in this tumbling down house that we need to fix. And when we first moved in there, the first time we met our neighbours was we walked up to the stone circle, which is this Bronze Age stone circle about a couple of miles from our house up the, the hill, up onto the moor. And it was freezing cold. And um, that day, we also huddled together like penguins. And we went back to our neighbour's house and got warm by the fire. And that was the moment that we started to get to know them. And three years on now, a pandemic sandwiched in the middle. And... We went up again this morning for the solstice dawn through, again, incredibly cold rain and wind, those biting icicles of rain. A few drenched people huddled around, some playing drums. Sounded a bit damp this morning. There we were all together again. It's also the day, in some ways, that we're moving out of the house in order to fix it up. And we've moved into a much smaller much warmer, much cosier place 
um, in the middle of the town or village that we live in. Um, not so close to the moor, surrounded by people rather than trees and rivers. And that very much feels like the end of one cycle and the beginning of another, at least a chapter. And it was sad to leave it, but it was ready. It was telling us it was ready. It was falling apart to the extent that it was not safe to live in anymore. And so there's something quite satisfying about knowing that there's no more eking out of a phase or a chapter. It's done. And so we're starting a new one. For new constellations, it feels like it's been this year a big cycle. It feels like we've done some really meaty pieces of work and that we're not the same people coming out of this year as we were when we went into it in a good way. Not in a way that's always been easy, in a way that's seen us challenged, has seen us experience radical uncertainty in the way that we all are, a staple of the of the world at the moment, but in a way that has felt good. Those elements of growth and growing pains that might not always feel comfortable or straightforward, but feel really good, feel really developmental, really evolutionary. And um, we've now had the chance to really hone the journey methodology. This idea of casting out into the unknown to consider what guides us, you know, what principles guide us at present and why they're leading us in a perilous direction and to look at what we want to replace those, how we reorient towards a set of principles or code that we can build the future in a way that will enable true flourishing both of human life and other life on this planet. I'm sure everyone will relate to that feeling of a burst of, you know, activity of quite a lot of doing and trying and experimenting and adapting. And so now there's a real need to bring that back to see what ingredients, you know, are there to see how we can remake and remould in many ways, bring things together in ways that we haven't tried, deepen our understanding of each stage of the journey and the kind of intellectual um, and practical underpinnings of each bit and in a way rework it for the next phase so that there's something which is a new and deeper version, something that builds off what we've done this year but attunes it even more deeply to the times that we're living in and what we're understanding is needed from those we are engaging with across all those different, you know, very different groups and aspects. And there was something that came up actually in the uh, in the last retreat of the Bold Dreams journey. It was raised by a lovely man called Peter, who, amongst many other things, is a passionate composter, lover of the soil, and also one of the founders of Flatpak Democracy, which was a movement to bring local government, local administration back into the hands of people who care passionately about bringing about transformative change on a kind of hyper-local, hyper-community level. It's a really, really interesting thing to look into. Anyway, Peter shared this article with, with us all. And the article was written by, I think, two medical doctors or academics, practitioners, 
from the United States, both of whom had considerable experience working with people who are dying with end of life and looking at this from a medical ethics point of view. And they applied their professional and academic um, background and perspective to the question of how to live in a barely habitable planet. And they came up with five maxims, which Peter shared with us. They're really sticky. (laughs) They keep coming back to me. And I think they're really, really helpful as a way of thinking about what's been so rich in this past cycle and thinking about how we can go deeper in the next. But the five are, number one, work hard to grasp the immensity in a similar way as people who are nearing the end of their life. What that means in terms of the depth of profundity, the depth of awareness of a life lived, a life coming to an end, of love, of regret, of loss, of all of these things, the completeness of that awareness. They are both saying that in this moment, with the interlocking crises, the poly crises that we face, we have to continue to work hard to grasp the immensity of it. I love this. It's something that we've tried to do in the journey with the different groups that we've worked with to provide a space or create a space in in which people can help each other to work hard to grasp the immensity of it. It's a really hard thing to do. There are glimpses. Some days you'll feel it and it feels as if you are holding the true immensity of what we are facing. But often it's impossible to contain that or to feel it, be it, think it. And so often we vacillate between an alive awareness of that immensity and something that is more subliminal, working at us, sometimes in a good way, one that's motivating and cuts through, and sometimes in a difficult way, one that's saddening and alarming and brings fear, anxiety. The second is to cultivate radical hope. There are many thinkers that we love, whether Rebecca Solnit or Adrian Marie Brown or Joanna Macy, Margaret Wheatley. There's, there's, there's lots of thinkers and practitioners who, are, who have written a lot, thought a lot about the importance of radical hope. And the fact that if we only operate from and work from a place of fear, we are going to end up with a future that is far from the one that we need, that can sustain us, certainly that we dream of. And so to cultivate, not just practice, but cultivate, that feels more generous. It feels more proactive. It feels like it's something we do with and for others. The third, and this one I found the hardest actually to kind of truly comprehend is to have a line in the sand. And the way they describe this is that from their experience of end of life care and people who are terminally ill and coming to terms with the end of their life, that one of the most important things is for people to understand the point at which they believe that life is no longer worth living, that their quality of life is no longer enough to sustain a conscious life. And so here too, they they suggest that one of our maxims should be to have a line in the sand, to ask us what is the point at which we would all choose actually that a certain kind of life would be untenable, unlivable, whether that's for us or our grandchildren. 
And that actually, if we were to set that line in the sand and to realise how quickly it's barrelling towards us, perhaps that would enable us to act with more decisiveness, to actually stay with that immensity more frequently, more deeply, not to compromise so much, not to subliminate what we really feel to the chug, chug, chug of the everyday. But it's a tough question. Where would we, where would you, where would I draw a line in the sand? The fourth maxim is to appreciate the astonishing and unique opportunity. It is an astonishing and unique opportunity. It is. As things are breaking apart, there is also an opportunity for renewal and to correct the things that we have been doing that have been innately brutal and harmful to each other and to the planet. To bring our way of life back into sync with the other living systems of the planet. That is a unique and astonishing opportunity. There's a lot at stake and nothing is for granted, but it's there and it feels alive. And the fifth maxim is to train your body and to train your mind. This idea that to cope, to be able to function, let alone thrive, to be able to have agency in this time of radical uncertainty, of flux, of existential threat, we are going to have to become far more adept at or attain far greater mastery of our bodies and our minds and the relationship between those two things. Intelligence can only get us so far now. We need to be working constantly with our cognitive mind and with our body and the interplay between them and get far more sophisticated at practices that weave almost like an infinity loop up and down between the two all the time. And that's something that personally I've been learning much more about from a number of amazing people that we've worked with, that we've come across and been deeply grateful for those lessons and those learnings. So those five maxims seem to me to neatly reflect some of the things that we've been trying to do imperfectly, obviously, over the course of last year, and which really, really ring true to me in terms of what can animate this next cycle as well. And that's exciting. I'm excited, looking forward with a little team, with a growing kind of constellation of collaborators, of beautiful, talented people that we're starting to work with around us, with people that we're partnering with more frequently, with those that we're learning from, this rich web. And it's exciting to be part of those interconnections and to be able to see that process of reciprocal enrichment that happens, of support, of holding each other up when there's a feeling of depletion and of the opportunity to take stock and to say that was an attempt, that was a shot at it, but there's so much more we can do and how to take things apart again and learn again and look at them afresh again and put them back together in all ways that feel fresher and deeper and stronger and have more potential to truly meet this moment so that we're not just talking about what's needed in terms of transformation in abstract terms that could relate to anything, but we're really meeting that. We're really staying with that trouble. We're really working hard to grasp the immensity. We're looking it straight in the eye and we're doing our best because it won't be perfect won't be steady, it won't always be consistent, but we are doing our best to meet it and do what we can. What's come up in a lot of the conversations that we're having 
is the importance of family and community and friendship and of weaving those relationships of love and joy and support as the bedrock to everything. And so on this winter solstice, tucked up out of the hail and the wind and the driving rain, having trodden in those footsteps that so many thousands of people must have this morning up to that stone circle on that same morning to see a sun that may or may not have been apparent, all marking the end of one cycle, all celebrating the point at which the light begins to return, all understanding that the cycles of life are such an enormous part of us and something that we'll be blessed if we're able to reconnect to and return to more. Wish you all a beautiful solstice. An end to one chapter. And all the possibility of a new one.